City University Television presents... The American Theater Wing Seminars. Working in the theater. This seminar, design. A warm welcome to the American Theatre Wing Seminar on Working in the Theatre. These are coming to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York. And as we are about to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the American Theatre Wing's Tony Award, I am reminded that this is the 22nd year that we have brought you these Working in the Theatre seminars. We are indeed pleased to bring you this unique opportunity to look behind the scenes from the perspective of performers, producers, playwrights, directors, designers, choreographers, agents, and set and costume designers, plus the unions and guilds that work with and for these people. They provide invaluable insight and expertise for theater students, theater professionals, and theater goers. The American Theater Wing, as many of you know, is the founder of the theater's highest award, and we are justly proud of it, named in honor of a woman named Antoinette Perry. But the American Theatre Wing works year-round. It's more than just the Tony Awards. It gives a great deal of background to the Tony Award. And the programs that we do are all geared to service, entertainment, and education, designed to nurture and enhance excellence in the theatre and to bring audiences to the future of the theater. I might add we've been doing this for over 50 years and doing it fairly well, I think. In addition to these seminars, our very successful introduction to Broadway program has brought over 50,000 high school students to the New York City Broadway shows. And these come from the five boroughs of New York. And they are brought to you brought to the theaters uh, as a cooperative venture with the Board of Education and the generosity of the Broadway producers who make tickets available to us at a very, very small sum. And we, in turn, turn these over to the Board of Ed who make them available to the students. And the students pay individually for their ticket, which is a very important part of this program, that they learn to pay for and buy a ticket. They're not brought en masse to the theater. They've made the decision. They've made the commitment. And it's a very exciting thing to see these students come and see the excitement as they see their very first Broadway show. And what magic the Broadway theater, all theater as a matter of fact, but what magic the live theater has to give to them. We're also very excited and pleased about a new program called Theater in Schools, which is, again, just that. And we bring professionals from every area of the theater to talk to the students at schools and discuss with them what it is to work in the theater. Designers, playwrights, directors, and producers come as well under the banner of the wing. 
and it's a very important program because it gives the students a language about the theater and also an anticipation of what they are about to see. These seminars are one of the most important archives of theatrical history that I can think of. And as I've told you, we've been doing it for 22 years. And in those 22 years, we've had almost everybody in the theater that's taking part in it. And it's a wonderful roster of knowledge that we have. Today's seminar is on that very important part of the theater. They bring the magic alive to you. And it also carries with it an award as well. It uh, is the set designers, the costume, the lighting, and the directors that bring the whole thing alive to you. And unlike the Tony Awards, this American Theatre Wings Award on Design is given to both Broadway, Off-Broadway, and Off-Off-Broadway. And so without further ado, I welcome you, and I ask that George White, who is um, a president of the O'Neill Theatre Center and a director and a very, very fine member of the Wings Friends and uh, is also a very, very fine person in his own right as just man about the world, as George directs in both China and Russia, and Professor Tish Dates, who has organized this force and uh, is a theater critic and has overseen the awards on design. I thank you very much for, be here, for being here, and I'm going to turn this over to our co-chairs, who will then in turn introduce our panel, who have earlier received an award and a check for their contribution <laughs> to the theater. Thank you all for being here. Thank you and welcome. It's a great pleasure to be uh, co-moderating with George White today. Uh, I'd like to introduce you to our panelists. Uh, on my right is Gerald Gutierrez, who won uh, a Tony Award as Best Director for The Heiress. And uh, he also uh, directed, of course, the show which won the Tony for the Best Production of a Play on Broadway last season. And he is accompanied by his friend, uh, did, was it Phil? Your, your attorney, sorry, your attorney, Phyllis. Uh, next to Jerry is the scenic designer, John Lee Beatty, who has uh, just won the 1995 uh, American Theatre Wing Design Award for the set of The Heiress. Uh, John Lee has had a, a lengthy career designing on Broadway, off Broadway, uh, just among the many things he's done, he's put in 20 seasons as a designer at the Manhattan Theatre Club and the Circle Repertory Company. His, design, his designs have been honored before by the American Theatre Wing, and of course he's also won just about everything else that a scene designer could win, a, a Tony, an Obie, a Drama Desk Award, the Autocritic Circle Award, you, you, you get the idea. And next to John Lee is Beverly Emmons, uh, Beverly works all over Europe and the United States designing opera, uh, theater, uh, dance for famous choreographers like Martha Graham and Merce Cunningham. Um, her work on Broadway has been honored by a Tony and, and five Tony nominations on top of that, an Obie, 
and two Bessie Awards for her work off, off, off on uh, Broadway. And she won just last season an American Theatre Wing Design Award for Passion. She's back with us this year, having won for doing the lighting design uh, for The Heiress. On my far left is Ralph Lee, the artistic director and designer for the Meadowee River Company. Um, Ralph designs absolutely amazing uh, masks and costumes for uh, puppets, uh, which people wear. Uh, he has designed uh, all over the country. He's designed for Saturday Night Live, uh, but mostly for, for theater. And he started the Village Halloween Parade, I think 21 years ago, but he'll correct me later if I've got that a little bit off. Um, he also works, has worked for about six years now with a Mayan Writers co Collaborative in San Cristobal de las Casas, and I, I, he will explain to us later the relevance of, of that. But he has won the award this year for noteworthy unusual effects for his design of Heart of the Earth, a Popol Vuh story. Next to Ralph is uh, the person who, in my opinion, is the great actress of her generation, Cherry Jones. Uh, I've been following Cherry's career since she appeared as the daughter in He and She at BAM more years ago than I think either one of us wants to count. Uh, she then went up and appeared in many, many wonderful uh, performances at the American Repertory Theater in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and has uh, done some of the best performances I have ever seen since then in New York. And, plays by Paula Vogel and A Light shine, Shining in Buckinghamshire and Our Country's Good. And she has won uh, a number of awards for her uh, appearance as the heiress. I mean, Sherry is the heiress uh, in uh, that play on Broadway. She won the Tony, the Drama League Award, the Drama Desk Award, the Autocritic Circle Award. And she was good enough uh, to join us today to talk about the design of the show along with Jerry and the designers. And finally, uh, next to Cherry uh, is Jane Greenwood, uh, the costume designer uh, for uh, many years on and off Broadway. She's also designed for the Metropolitan Opera, the Alvin Ailey Dance Company. She has received 13 Tony nominations, and in addition to winning the American Theatre Wing uh, Costume Design Award for her costumes for the heiress, uh, she also has won once before uh, when these awards were known as the Meharam Awards, she won for designing the costumes for Tartuffe. Welcome all. Great. <laughs> um, Ralph, a Popol Vuh story, which is what it was called when, uh, when I first saw it at the public theater before it moved to Intar and, and got the name Heart of the Earth, um, is about a Mayan creation myth um, could you tell us uh, a little bit about this? For instance, what do the words Popol Vuh mean? What does that refer to? <clears throat> well, Popol Vuh, uh, from what I understand, means something like a book of counsel. And uh, it is, in a sense, or was, in a sense, the, uh, the, uh, the Bible for the, uh, for the Mayan civilization, or, or part of it at any rate. And um, it's... Um, a creation story uh, insofar as it talks about how the world was formed and why such and such animal has a stripe down his back and 
uh, why the sun and the moon are in the, in the sky. It, it explains the universe for people. Um, and it also um, tells about um, the creation of the first humans, how they came about. And it's also kind of like a, a, a book of the dead for, for people. It um, describes um, how you get through hell and up to heaven. It sort of lays out a, a map, a way of, of, of succeeding to uh, become, in a sense, resurrected. Um, and the, um, the most interesting part of the story for me, uh, and the part that I felt was uh, uh, a really compelling story in itself and one that was worth dramatizing, uh, is the story of a pair of twins who are young boys and um, they're great ball players and um, they disturb the lords of death who live in the underworld uh, because they play ball so well and so noisily and so the lords invite them down there um, um, to play a ball game with them and immediately they trick them they decapitate them, and you think that's going to be the end, but it ain't. <laughs> the twins are reborn, they, and they go back to hell a second time, and uh, because they have this pre-knowledge of what the underworld is like, uh, they are able, uh, through wonderful ways of trickery and outsmarting and pure devilry, uh, they're able to outsmart the, the lords of death. And it just, it's a very compelling story, and, and you, f you feel that uh, the Mayans must have had some uh, really formidable lords of death uh, in their society, <laughs> just as maybe we do in ours. And um, by uh, using their wits, they're able to circumvent them. And so that's the basic, the basic story uh, there. And, uh, and I felt uh, that it was... Um, it was a story that really had to get out there and, and be, 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 that more people should be acquainted with it. And so that's why I set about dramatizing it. You seem to have brought some friends with you. Could we invite them up here without fearing for our lives? Well, I, 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 I talked to them beforehand, and I think they'll be uh, relatively good. I should... Um, uh, give a little word of explanation before they come up here. Uh -huh. um, in my haste to come here today, I uh, forgot one essential element, which is uh, an inner crown that one of these large puppets wears, whereby his head attaches to his person. And um, so while when they are appearing on stage, I am going to have to hold his head in place so that you can get the complete illusion of, of, of what they look like. That's not usually part of the show. That's not usually bonus. part of the show. Before we story. get to that, George, are you going to pick up with... Well, yeah, I, I would. I, I, I'd like to also, because we are talking so much about design, I'd like to start, I suppose, uh, since I am a director, but I'd like to start uh, with the director a little bit because uh, so much stems from your basic concept and uh, in terms of how you're going to do the show and how it's going to look. Uh, I assume it comes from your head. 
to, to these people, or would you refute that? I mean, how, do you, how did you choose uh, <coughs> the, the, the people, your team? Well, um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how. I, I've done something like 15 plays with John and 10 or something. We've, we've, we've all worked together a lot. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know or pretend to know how we work together. Um, I know that we share a certain um, aesthetic. I know that it takes a lot of uh, a planning. Um, we know each other's taste. If we're to concentrate on the set for the moment, um, I don't know. Help me. Well, yeah, I, you know, I, there was uh, interesting because that set, the heiress, is is marvelous. We had a uh, an earlier um, seminar, uh, and Heidi Landisman was here, and she was talking about her set for uh, uh, Moon Over Buffalo, right. which uh, which I loved as well. But she said, you know, the minute from her point of view. Generally speaking, when when the curtain goes up and there you are, you see a a one set, a basic unit set. Her normal instinct is to to just despair. And of course, I thought, particularly John, your set, uh, Brennan Gill earlier said, that, and I agreed. It's that's a wonderful set. You want to get up and be in it. You want to, you you would hope that you'd be invited to tea there. I mean, it just is a comfortable one, and that that's very tricky to do. And how I mean. What is the process of, of all of you working together it on it? comes that? first, I think. Exactly. It's, 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 what is, where is the chicken and where is the egg? I don't know. It, it was, uh, I, I, don't, I really don't, because we've done so many plays together. But um, I know that with the heiress, I didn't want, I, I wanted a modern, uh, there, was, there were modern contemporary reasons for doing it. Uh, I thought it was viable and stage worthy. What were those? Well, damn good, play, you know. damn good parts for actors, uh, and I don't think there's enough good acting on Broadway. Uh, I thought it was an American play. I don't think there were enough American plays on Broadway. And um, I thought that the Lincoln Center Theater is particularly supportive in, um, in seeing through the artistic um, visions of, of its directors and designers. The thing about that set, though, it looks like you want to live in it, but it's a house of scrim. Mm -hmm. So it's, it isn't what it appears to be. I mean, there, there's, it's all soft. And it's a lace curtain, uh, ghosty um, uh, room. It, it gives the illusion of warmth at times, does, yeah. especially when lit by Beverly. But, it, it, but it's a very um, uh, a courageous um, design, I think. Um, <laughs> you see it? Yeah. Why? Well, two reasons. Uh, one, actually, the other designers helped me, Jane Greenwood, and, and I had a little heart-to-heart -heart in Seattle. We, I had done too many shows with sofas, and I was feeling <laughs> all I ever do with these rooms, and the reviewers always say, oh, you want to live in them, and you could just move in. And I, I was so sick of that, and I wanted to do things like Loy Arsenis gets to do. And uh, <laughs> you always want to be someone else. You don't want to be yourself. So. Um, but a few key things. Jane said, first of all, it's a good play, which is, was very helpful knowledge, <laughs> that it's going to work, that there's something there worth pursuing. And also what Jerry said, um, that there was a modern, uh, that there's a reason for doing it now. And I started looking through, uh, looking at the world we live in and thinking about how much money Catherine Sloper has 
and try to think of what we think now, what we think now looks rich, rather than going back and looking at pictures of, um, was the play done in the 40s? 1947. 40s, or looking at the original period even at first, but to actually look at what we think of as looking rich now. And I took that, and then of course, um, I wandered like a crazy person through Washington Square, uh, looking in people's windows, <laughs> and, uh, uh, all that, and of course, and then reading about, reading, reading, Jane had also just read the novella, I think, and uh, recommended that, so I went to the bookstore and oh, bought that. Yeah. But that, that was going to get into because you, you said that, and, 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 and I want to get on to research, and I also am going to reveal a secret that I was told just before we went on, you know, on camera, but uh, about the, the, uh, the, the costumes. It's okay, oh, relax. Yeah. But uh, no, <laughs> uh, the, uh, the, the thing that Fair intrigues enough. me is, uh, uh, and you said uh, w how th things would look rich to a, a 1990s audience. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to sort of get into your head and the thought process of, of what what kind of research, what went through your mind to make that happen, rather than going, let's say, to uh, the equivalent of, of better homes and gardens, uh, uh, you know, of, of that period. What, what went through your mind? How did you do that? What made you, what was your thought process in that? Backwards, of course, like any well, designer. but. Uh, well, first of all, I was conscious of the 1940s, uh, the play being written then and what they admired in that period. You know, there's a whole, I call it Hollywood Regency, but it's a <laughs> whole style of uh, interior decoration that, that we're very familiar with. Mostly our parents uh, had it. It's a lot of mahogany and sort of Duncan Fife imitations. Uh, and I realized I had to discount all of that because we don't have that today, except at the Bombay Company, sort of. And... Uh, so, oh, so how, do you, how do you how do you keep doing what you're doing, saying what you're doing, saying what you're saying? How do you keep that the, the set from getting in the way of the play? Oh, that's what he helps. <laughs> <laughs> and how does he help that? How does he help that? Because he keeps talking about the play and doesn't talk enough about the design, and you're desperate to talk about the design, and he's talking about the play and the Well, casting. I'll tell you, this is where... And, of course, that keeps you thinking about the play rather than about the, the draperies, which really are the least important thing in the long run. But uh, you eventually see that all the choices relate to the script. and what. So talking about finding out that Sherry was going to be the heiress tells me a lot about what the room can look like. So... Uh, finding out who else is going to work on it, whatever. Also, I think, though, uh, wouldn't you agree that um, I was, as a kid, I was trained um, in working on the play and developing a set to imagine the set from the top down, not from the audience forward, not the elevation. Where is the room to act? And where is the furniture? It doesn't really matter. I, I care less about the, the, the ground plan. It's critical, uh, to, in my opinion. Because there are some, I've seen... Uh, I'm not going to, you know, I've seen lots of beautiful sets where there's no room for actors. Uh, and, and I think we begin that way. And where the entrances are and where the, and where the logic is. And then trying to find, this, I didn't want a, a drawing room either. And I was reinventing a drawing room, which was the hard part. And what scared me so much was when we came up with the scrim walls and Jerry, everything that appealed to Jerry about the movie were impossible things to put on stage, seeing things in reflections, seeing through things and going around corners. 
and then I realized, well, there has to be a way of doing this on stage, which was mirrors where you can actually sometimes see through th two of the mirrors to the back side of the scenery in this version. Uh, that came to me, and then I thought, but this is like reinventing the, those horrible scrim sets from the 50s that, that we had to imitate when I was in college, and we don't want to do this again. And I <laughs> kept envisioning these reviews where they said, John Lee Beatty reinvents the 50s or something. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was, that's what scared me so much. I actually went to Andre Bishop and told him how, how scared I was, which was kind of a mistake because we all know and love him, and he's so supportive that he was scared for me, and of course we had the scared producer then next. So. Um, hold that thought. I've got to detour us back just for a minute because we promised these actors who are lurking off stage that they could go home right after the beginning of this show, and we've, we've uh, forgotten about them. And, and even though, um, you know, I try hard to make these costumes comfortable. Yes. <laughs> they I... are big and heavy. <laughs> and they're standing there. And welcome, uh, Creatures from the Underworld. Mm. This is a first on these shows, I'll tell you. Wow. <laughs> Ralph, can you talk to us a little bit uh, yeah. about uh, what <clears throat> the design challenges were for these costumes, keeping them wearable? And right. Well, um, I'm going to have to remove his head in order to yes, talk about right. it. <laughs> but um, in, in developing these costumes, um, you know, I've made a lot of large puppets in my life. But, um, um, and I've found that when actors have to speak with these things on, uh, it can be a problem. Um, if you're if they're uh, totally covered up, their their voices are muffled and 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 all of that, and so um, I've I've sort of developed a, a kind of feeling whereby you know that the actor is in there, you may be able to see part of him, um, and so it's it's sort of like he's the the core in there, but then there's this extension which is uh, the which is the puppet, and so. This actor's face, for instance, is, is totally visible inside there. Um, of course, with the, the appropriate lighting, it, it, is not, it doesn't take the focus. But uh, it's there. And, and the audience can see that his arms are manipulating uh, the other arms, the arms of the puppet. But uh, somehow or other, uh, because the, if, the, if the image is strong enough, the visual image is strong enough, then your, your focus as an onlooker will go to that image, and, and you'll just kind of forget the other person is there. Mm -hmm. And you can go back to him if you want to, but he's always there. And I'm not trying, trying to pretend he's not. And uh, with these particular figures, that's what I wanted to do, because they have a lot to say in the piece. They're, very, they're real wise-ass kind of uh, characters. And so I, I, I wanted them to, you know, their personalities their, uh, and their, the sense of them as actors to, to be clearly there. And, and with this guy, you can see his, his, uh, his face through his mouth very clearly when it, when it, when it opens. And of course, he's just uh, back to the, to the lace. <laughs> he, he has just lace on his chin there which uh, um, uh, it makes it very easy for his voice to come, come through.
It's just wonderful. Can you introduce the actors to us? And the characters. (laughs) Yeah. What this? Well, they're just going to, by way of introduction, they're just going to do like two, two or three little lines. We are spilled blood and broken bones. We are cancer and hemorrhage of the marrow. We drink pus and blood and like it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So underneath this costume is is Will Howe, who uh, has... Has, has played this part since uh, we started working on this show. And in this one is Bruce Barton, who has put, has put this costume on for the first time in his life today. <laughs> <laughs> because the other actors weren't available. And I must say, when I first made this, uh, this toad costume here, uh, f- um, we were having auditions, and I, was, uh, I would bring in some of the... the uh, the masks as I was making them for the auditions. And, and uh, you know, when you're making something, you don't necessarily know whether it's going to work or not. And, uh, and, and Will came to the audition, and he put this thing on, and it was like they came together immediately. And I said, oh, yeah, this can work. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a tremendous relief. <laughs> thank you oh, thank very you much. So much. Does does that mean that as you're directing then, your designs are already fairly well along and the performers can rehearse in them from the outset? Um, Well, uh, usually when I start the rehearsals, some of the design elements are cooking. Um, And there are usually some elements that uh, I don't really know how I'm going to do yet. Um, and I sort of save that until the rehearsals have uh, been progressing for a while. And then I say, oh, I, I kind of, you know, something, some actor will say, well, couldn't we do it this way? Or somebody will give you a little clue somewhere along the line. And, 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 and you begin to get a hunch as, as to how you should do it. And uh, so then you can, you know, you can go home and, and build it. Um, and uh, so... Uh, since I function in two capacities, I'm I'm usually working kind of double You're very time. Lucky. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Ralph Lee, the director, is conferring with Ralph Lee, the designer. Right. <laughs> that is true. Well, you know, we were speaking. Uh, Ralph, you had mentioned uh, parenthetically, by the way, uh, the the I didn't. You were a real hero of mine because I didn't. I never knew who who started that Greenwich Village parade. Uh-huh. But anyway, whoever did was marvelous. So congratulations. Sure. Uh, but we're talking about costumes, and I wanted to bring this up with Jane. Uh, and also have you reveal, or, or Cherry did earlier, uh, the, the, in the heiress, those costumes are absolutely wonderful, particularly the heiress costume, you know, your, your costumes. Uh, and they look like these marvelous, uh, uh, velour, heavy, wonderful designs. Uh, and yet you solve that problem, because running around as you tend to do, uh, moving very quickly, uh, you know, uh, unless you uh, are in, in incredible physical shape to run around that, 
But you, you revealed the, how you were able to do that, how those costumes... You know, people always think that these clothes are so heavy, and actually they're very light. And it was the um, underpinnings of the clothes, the petticoats and the corsets that created the shape. Therefore, um, the dress could be a very light silk or a very light cotton or whatever, and it really, I don't think it's too heavy. No. No, no I mean, I, that's a, exactly, but I mean, that, that's what is so surprising, because you, you think that they must, they have that wonderful power to them. Uh, when you, also, color is terribly well, important. Well, red helps. <laughs> I mean, yes, exactly. But, of course, then you obviously have to work with John as to making sure that... Uh, how all those colors interact, and also the men's clothes, which seemed, which are not just black, which weren't, you know, of that period. But well, that is important, and I think John and I, over the years, have worked together a great deal and have really found uh, most times to be very harmonious in terms of the way we get together with the scenery and the clothes, for whatever reason. But don't very often we don't <laughs> talk, and that's what's so amazing. It's, we, it's ESP, is it? No, it's yes, it's I'm not kidding. Tell them about the new one. Our new play, Northeast Local, she, Jane and I did not speak at all. About and colors. And the scenery and the costumes came up on stage together in the first scene. They went together fine, no problem. In the second scene, Oddly enough, they were sort of in the same color range, but different enough that the actors stood out. And I thought, oh, that's great. It's such a wonderful accident. And then the next scene came up. That was a maroon scene. And then the next scene came up, and that was pale blue and green. And the actor came out in green, and, and then there was uh, dark green gingham. And then the next scene came up, and that was the red scene. And on scene. and on it went. Red and, and we rust. And then the next really one was orange and, stylized, and orange and avocado. And orange and avocado yeah. came out. It was bizarre. It was really bizarre. Now, that's not to say we don't talk about oh, things, yeah. but it just seemed that because, <laughs> but we're because yes, they weren't first get together. Yes. But we were so busy gossiping that the, the design <laughs> hardly comes Especially this. Year. It comes out of the gossip, I see. But, sure. no, but you, you also, you, before we go any further, you have to know that Sherry Jones is an extremely good physical shape. She bicycled here today. <laughs> she could have lifted She could have carried heavy dresses. <laughs> right. In fact, I got a most amusing letter the other day from someone in New Jersey asking me that they had had an argument with some friends and they couldn't solve it until I answered them. Uh, they were under the impression that I had created some machine that carried Cherry Jones up the staircase so quickly. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah, she looked like she floated the up the stairs and they, they, they were convinced to solve the argument that I had to tell them about the machine and I had to write back and say that Miss Jones not only was in very good shape, but she, <laughs> but she actually practiced, you know, that yeah. Sherry you get practiced. You practiced that a you lot. The speed of her first entrance, we rehearsed for a long time. Yeah, she hurdles down the stairs. Yeah. But th that's interesting it because then, how, did, how did you do that? Well, it was it, the, the amount of fabric. Uh, Cherry and I, uh, the first time we were on the set, rehearsed that. Of course, I secretly wanted to wear the red dress so that I could wear that because it's such a beautiful oh, dress. But I lived through my actors, and so I let her do it. And it was if she starts slow, builds up speed, and then comes to a halt so that the, the, the skirts uh, gather wind, it, and so she mm -hmm. appears to float. I mean, that was all rehearsed. 
Well, was was it rehearsed in a in a rehearsal uh, skirt, or was it? I mean, how did or did well, you and you no, talk with Joan, uh, you know, with Jane the, about that? Yeah. In the rehearsal room, the the, the stairs are just taped yeah, out on the, sure. and we sort of forgot that there were even stairs on the set. I mean, we would sort of Franny and I would sometimes kind of pretend walking up and down the steps on the tape, you know. But uh, it wasn't until we got on onto the set. And in fact, I remember the first day. So many of my favorite memories from this entire experience, not just because we're here at its design panel, had to do with those moments when everything was made clear to me through the design. The, um, I'm going to just take a tangent to say that the, most, uh, the first most exciting day was the day I went to sit for the portrait for the poster, for that, for Mr. McMullen at his studio. And uh, I had already had a couple of fittings with Jane, and I had never had the privilege of working with Jane before, and I'd, I'd heard Jane's name a thousand times, and Beverly's, and Mr. John Lee Beatty's, and I, I was so thrilled to be getting to work with him, and we had had a fitting to get the silhouette of the corset. I will never have a corset as magnificently made as that one ever again, unless I get to work with Jane again. I mean, you know, right down to the eighth of the hundredth of an inch. She got exactly what she wanted in the silhouette, got me to lose just enough weight that she could get that waist to where she wanted it. She said, well, we will be down to 25. <laughs> and uh, as I sat looking pretty at 29. <laughs> yes, you did. And I took notes. I took notes. <laughs> but um, but I, I remember walking into that... Uh, into that studio, and I thought, well, perhaps Jane's assistant, Alona, would be there, and Mr. McMullen and his assistant. And to my amazement, I walked in the door, and there was Jerry Gutierrez, and John Lee Beatty, and Jane, and her assistant, and Eric Winterling, who built the clothes, and uh, Paul Huntley, who designed the wigs, and uh, obviously Mr. McMullen, and and uh, Beverly, you weren't there, but I'm sure it was a very good reason why you were. <laughs> and I thought, this is going to be extraordinary, that all of these masters have shown up for a, a, a sitting for a poster. It never occurred to me that you all would all be there making sure that everything was just perfect. Oh, but you see, it was a tremendous help for us because we were getting a head start on... Uh, really the uh, shape of her clothes and her hair and everything else and so it was a great advantage mm. because it is complicated when you look back at another period and everybody has to work very hard to sort of really get it right so we were all delighted to be there. <laughs> well you know there is something too that because you were talking about the shape of, of the corset and all of that but that has to start I assume and, and I've always felt this from character, why would she wear a red dress? Uh, is that between you and, and Jane? Yes, right. It's it's and and it is a uh, 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 the, it's a perfect example of this woman's need to please her father. That she goes on her own and has a dress made the same color that the dead mother used to wear, used to wear yeah. ribbons in her hair from the same yeah. color, and so it's all it's slightly too gaudy for her mm -hmm. and the dress overwhelms her and that was the hardest part I remember we had mm -hmm. was because it wasn't it, it's easy to make her look ridiculous mm 
And uh, you know, we wanted it to look sort of unsuitable, but not a joke. Because she's not. Yeah, yeah, she's well, not. that's interesting because yeah. it, I think a lot of people, a lot of audience, don't realize how incredibly important it, these the clothes grow out of character. You really also, I remember I thought I had I had mortally I had I had done a terrible thing. The one of those very first fittings, Jane was showing me you know book after book of these incredibly gaudy, horrible. 1850 dresses with everything but the kitchen sink, you know, on them. And I remember looking at them and thinking, well, it, it has to be unsuitable, but not irritating. And I remember Alona, Jane's assistant, looked at me and said, Jane Greenwood could never design anything that was irritating. <laughs> <laughs> Unless, of course, it was too tight. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. but, but, you know, now, I wanted to get on to, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't, but I wanted to get on to uh, lighting, because we haven't talked about lighting. And lighting is, is I think, people, again, uh, civilians don't understand how extremely important and how different kinds of lighting. Now, you've directed, you know, I mean, uh, lighting, uh, design lighting for opera and for dance, and, and again, for, uh, for the heiress. Uh, I thought it was absolutely marvelous, and I, I thought it was because you couldn't tell it was lit in the sense it wasn't, you don't say, my gosh, that's lit, unless you're into it. But it all worked, and it's very, very subtle lighting. Um, and it's it, absolutely marvelous. I mean, people don't go in and out of shadows and all kinds of things like that. Uh, talk about how you how you approach lighting anything, and also a little bit about the differences with dance. And just why we this, this was an interesting challenge, actually, for me, because coming from dance and uh, some of the avant-garde pieces I've done where where basically the space is open and one can put lights anywhere one wants this is more, much more of a classic piece with a ceiling and with walls and it's a closed box with a very limited place for lights only in the front of the auditorium and and directly on the first and second electric uh, and and so the, I had to find a way into this world, this set, uh, when there was physically not much of a way in, yeah. uh, and to be able to give some dimensions. And I found it, actually, lighting is always an interesting combination between what one imagines one might do and then what's physically possible, and sometimes those are very divergent. But in this particular case, I found that I could put a boom out of sight of the audience, off of those uh, windows, where I could get, you know, looking at the set, I felt uh, th something very real here. Yes, the lace and the and the other the other ideas are going on, but there ha this is play is grounded in a kind of reality. We have to believe this. This isn't surreal. This isn't uh, this isn't uh, weird. This has got this is this is real in a way. And so I happen to know Washington Square. I know that house sits on the north side of the square, and so those windows are facing south. And therefore, the script says in the second scene, when the boyfriend arrives <clears throat> to, to overwhelm her and propose to her, he can be hit by the sunlight at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, coming from that boom right to the center doorway of the arch. And so <clears throat> I said, fine. October three o'clock. Yeah, okay. The sun, would, the sun would be just there, and and uh, and so that sort of gave me my way in is to both tie, and and then thinking about that as an idea. This this man is is an intruder from outside in her life, and so in the two times when he comes very powerfully, you can get him from that same location with um, the first time golden sunlight. He's the golden boy. He's coming. 
and, and then at the end in sunset when he comes to, 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 uh, to beg forgiveness. Uh, and he can be caught in that sun. So those, that gave me an angle and that gave me a romantic color idea. Um, it also gave me a, a way of connecting it to nature. And so then I said, oh, well, okay, then another scene, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's um, uh, 11 o'clock in the morning, so the sun would be there, and oh, yes, I can put lights that will do that in those windows. There were gray, the, the day he has jilted her and, and is desolate and gray, and so the set will do that. And then looking at John's selection of colors, and then taking what, what daylight really is and how it works, the trick, of course, is that the daylight can only come through the windows. can't come through the lace walls, or you lose the, um, the, that conceit of that you can't see out there except you can. And, and that's where I built it from, basically, was to, was to go from Which must have been fun for you nature. to do, because you have such a, also a spectrum of, of times of day, which is, which is a great challenge, and, and also carry, and plot, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. which uh, is good. But of course, when you're lighting, in avant-garde situations where, you, where people do want to see that there is a light, like there's a spot or something very, very specific. No, this had to, had to match. When and then, did the design come into its own in the theater? Gene Rosenthal. Well, the there was Lincoln. usually just the, the, the pink spot and, and, uh, and you, you lit from behind or below. When did it become a, as much of a sign? Well, as it's, it been going, it's been growing. Mm -hmm. It's been growing um, as electronics have grown and, and computer control has grown. I mean, it used to be, I worked with Jules on a show in 1973 where 300 lights was massive for mm -hmm. a musical, and now musicals have a thousand lights. Uh, they so, do? Really? Yeah, yeah, and they're all controlled individually. She's also able, because of, like, for example, what you call birdies, these small instruments that we didn't used to have, she's able to put lights in places on the Eris set where you would never dream that a light mm -hmm. could be hidden, so. But we should also tell everybody about, I think, if you've seen the Eris especially, you'd be interested to know there are some tricks built into the set for the lighting. I don't think most people, unless you go backstage, realize that there's one staircase for Catherine to go up. There's another staircase behind the wall for a stagehand to go up with a light in his hands, and he follows Catherine up the stairs. So her halo of light is actually going up a second staircase. There's a rear projection screen between the two. So the back wall of the set is actually a luminous wall. It isn't a solid wall at all. It's your right. projection right. screen. So there's that effect. And, uh, That's the machine that gets her upstairs. In answering, in answering your question, I did, jump, I did jump both of these gentlemen's intentions in the sense that I was talking light completely what I brought to the party. Uh, obviously, the necessity of the set to, in its translucency to reflect and change its color subtly also, you can't do that with an ordinary set. The, the rear wall is translucent and, and so changes. The ceiling, the ceiling is translucent and subtly changes color to reflect what's going on. We see through into the other room. And then Jerry had some very specific requests, one of which is the light uh, behind, behind her as it goes up the stairs. And what gave you that idea? It's a wonderful idea. Well, because um, he always works from a moment, though, because when you work with Jerry, he tells you about a cool moment, and then you have to work backwards yeah. and do the whole rest of the play. Right. Right. So. The heiress by Ruth and Augustus Getz represents the kind of play that made me want to be in the theater. It was uh, the kind of play I saw as a child going to plays. And, uh, and I believe, with all due respect, that the art of the theater is the art of the actor. And I thought that the moment, uh, the climax of that play is 
that incredibly complicated moment where you don't know whether you're happy for her or you don't know whether you're sad for her and you know mm -hmm. and it was it's, it's a moment of sexuality and complexity and I had to go back from that I knew that eventually I didn't know how I, we would do it but eventually I wanted her holding the damn lamp and I needed that thing going up she went, and, and, and at the end, as the curtain comes out, that is all the yeah, light that's left. Yeah, yeah. So it's a, it's a okay. collapsing of light down to the profile of Miss Cherry Jones in a dress by Jane Greenwood. <laughs> Did you envisionize this in the very beginning, that light would be that extra dimension for you? I'll get to that. The, the light, I think, I, I think the light, more so than other places, I, I, to a director, the lighting designer, I have the most fun with, because they come on last. And by this point, we're sick of each other. And at this point, we're sick of each other. And she's dealing with the actors who think, oh, you're ruining my performance by making me wear this color. So I get to have fun with the design, with the new one. She comes at the end. And because um, I remember, we would try, what I love in, in tech rehearsals is sitting with a, a line designer, especially one as gifted as Beverly, and seeing um, what you can do. And I remember that day we were pulling all the light, pulling all the light, pulling all that, till the big jilting scene, Cherry Jones plays in the complete darkness. Mm -hmm. well, and the one with, and, and Franny Sternhagen is the one sitting in the light. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah, that was an important moment because people are, have spoken about it. it. She's sitting in the dark. And, and that's not something a lighting designer can ever do by oneself. That, and, and in a way, without even talking about it, we were following a similar line because of my idea of, of the lit scenes being natural. Well, if she's sitting in the dark waiting for her boyfriend at 1 o'clock in the morning, it is black in that room. Now, how do we play this? Mm -hmm. uh, yes, a little tiny candle comes downstairs, but the audience has to see sufficiently to, to understand what they're saying to each other. It's just a technical problem. We have to see them. And On the, the other laughs. hand, it, we have to understand <laughs> the, laughs. the laughs. We have to understand that she's sitting in the dark so that what was wonderful was sneaking my intention was to see how low we can play it and therefore I'm sneaking things up and listening for the director to say more 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 and in this particular case she walked over to the sofa where previously I hadn't needed any light and I went to make the next cue which was oh now we need a little light to fill and Jerry said no 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 we know what she looks like leave her there mm -hmm. and that's I mean that can only that could only be done yeah, I, was, I, I noticed that, that darkness and, uh, and, and there are many times in the play when, uh, you know, there were dark shadows. I mean, there was no light in the alcove. And, and, and then that, oh, that one light at the end, I mean, th it was interesting how darkness became a real element in, in the, in the mm -hmm. play. And of course, it also comes from the, the period, too. I mean, that's the last, you move the light with you. Uh, but it was very effective in, in the... The way it's also, it's I think, red. Um, it's theatrical, and, yeah. uh, and it's theatrical. a moment. And why I sort of I'm uneasy on panels like this because it sounds like there's more theory at work than. But it is no, because there wasn't. I I I don't know how we did it, but it's the scene, the jilting scene, is for me about resurrection, and it's about her coming from the dark into the light. And uh, and the reality that brings, and that the next scene is at dawn. It, it, it's there's there's a there's a religious thing there for me, and I don't know why, but uh, but I I don't, uh, and so uh, I'll be quiet now.
No, but that's just terrific. Terrific. Now, that's though, about the light in 1850, those are argon lamps, which are patent right. lamps of the period. It's really because of doing Abe Lincoln in Illinois, which we did <laughs> together, we know a lot about lamps. <laughs> and uh, and, and that, period, too. And the, and the, <laughs> a, a, well, a continuum of period because the, the 1850s, the 1850s is the last moment when you did have to live in the dark still. It, right after that, we get into the 60s, you start getting oil, uh, oil lamps coming in, and everything changes, and then you get multiple lamps. And it was fascinating doing the research, finding out how excited people were about birth of light and, how, and, and the reflections in the mirrors. The reason a lot of mirrors were there were to reflect the light, and you see that in the play, and that becomes a very important element when the light passes the mirror is, is, was part of these people's lives, but it, it is of this period. I always get sad in the last scene when he comes in in the sunset. I think, well, you know, it's really very sad what's happening in the play, but also this is a period in time that's frozen here, you know, that these people... And James was writing about something that was old to him. He's remembering mm -hmm. that time. And, and the atmosphere... Oh, sorry. As an actress, do you, do you have any thoughts about lighting? You, does the lighting have to be important for you, for your face, for your body, for any one thing? Well, or will you take the whole of the plays? As an actress, the, the kind of lighting I like most is just atmospheric, that puts you where you're supposed to be. And that's exactly what Beverly and Jerry I remember Lillian Gish saying that she, she stopped working on the stage when they did away with footlights, because that was <laughs> the only way that you could be well lit was from the bottom up for an actress, and if you didn't have what lights that you had, you know, not the proper kind of lighting. And listening to all of you here on the change in lighting, how important it is to the play itself, is just so revealing. Cherry, uh, I, I wonder if you could comment for us specifically on um, the ways that the set and the lighting and the costumes helped you to create your character. And I also hope that Jane will jump in and tell us how she managed to make someone as good-looking as you are look so plain. <laughs> Obviously, the costume helped you to do that. Ooh, ooh. Okay. I <laughs> stop, stop. I know. <laughs> <laughs> the hair. Yes, the hair. Well, you know, the hairstyle of the period is a bit of a killer. I mean, they do... Have those and that's your responsibility. Well, originally I look at the um, at the period and and you embrace everything about it. And uh, Paul Huntley, who of course is the great wig maker of all time, managed to come up with some very interesting styles. Don't you think he was? instrumentally mm -hmm. talking mm -hmm. us into the fact that that was really the way to go with the barriers. I was really excited when I saw that style because yes. I knew and, I, and every night when Elise does it for me here I'll give the television audience uh, it's this pathetic thing that wraps around the ears and I fortunately have sort of elfin ears that slightly stick out and every night I say to Elise I want as much year as we can get, <laughs> because then I know that. But it, and then later, as the style changes, and when she goes to Paris and she comes back and she's much more aware, um, she has a style which covers them and actually is more becoming in some way. It is also a little more, makes her look a little more mature. And all of these things help. Did you two do a lot of research on this? Such as oh, well, I always do. I mean, 
they always say I'm hopeless. I have far too much research and far too many books. But I don't think you can ever have enough. That's why I went back when we first read the play and, uh, and went and read Mr. James that John was talking about in Seattle because I felt that reading the book that the play had come from would give us a lot of... Right, and you found out where, where Jesus' aunt lived. Yes. If you find out that, you realize you know, that so you which direction the staircase goes up because in her house, we know exactly And he where talked a place. lot about the clothes, too, that Could you don't get this in the play. Because I have to stop this for just one minute while everybody stands and stretches and, and does whatever they have to do and then come right down and continue with this very important part of it, of what goes into making of a play so that the audience is not aware of any of this that goes in but is just aware of some kind of magic that's happening on the on the stage for them which is what you said is is a play mm -hmm. is the theater so please stand up stretch do whatever you have to do and come right back again thank you and we'll continue with it This is CUNY TV, Channel 75. We're continuing the American Theatre Wing seminars on working in the theatre. And this seminar is on design. And it is a very, very important and exciting and revealing seminar as well. We left off with the importance of lighting, for example, which the audience does not see. but. Uh, it, the, the, most, the more that they do not see, the more important it is, I guess you would say that. And Beverly, would you continue? And Tish, perhaps you reintroduce your panel as we go on. Certainly. Uh, Jerry Gutierrez, John Lee Beatty, Beverly Emmons, George White, Jane Greenwood, Cherry Jones, and Ralph Lee. And, and Cherry, I think, uh, had just been beginning to comment on what she was able to use uh, to create the character of Catherine Sloper um, from the work of, of each of the designers. Um, she made some uh, wonderful observations about the use to which she put the hairstyle in creating uh, this uh, shy, uh, wealthy heiress. And uh, I wonder if you could continue with the other designs. I, I said to Jane, what will I say? What will I say about all these different designs? And Jane said, well, just say it starts with the silhouette of the corset and goes from there. Uh -huh. and, it's, <laughs> and, it, and it's true for an actress, for an actor, it does. It sort of begins with, first, we have to deal with what it is we're wearing and how that will affect our movement and what we need to know that we don't know about how that should and will affect our, our movement. I know that... Um, Jane was a wonderful instructor on, uh, it's very easy to come down a, a flight of stairs in a 1850 uh, petticoat, and this predates hoop skirts by a couple of years, so this really is still the languid petticoats, and lots of them. Uh, but getting back up is the problem when you have that much bulk. It's light bulk, but it's bulky, and Jane, you know, always the upstage hand, just one hand, because <laughs> most modern actresses, American modern actresses don't have enough experience with, with large uh, period skirts because we don't do as much restoration or whatever. And we tend to always want to grab with both hands and pull up. And, of course, the elegant way is just to find that... You, and what I do is I know that I, I have to grab 
till I feel my skin <laughs> so that I know I have each and every petticoat. Because if you miss a petticoat, you're doomed. You're on your face. <laughs> but you get right till you feel the skin and very elegantly pull. Franny fell down the stairs at a previous. Remember, she kept walking on. Right. And then right. she was in that cul-de-sac. Uh, she, could, she was stepping on her own skirt and she couldn't get off it. Well, I think partly that was because we were airing on a little longer than shorter. And also her drinking. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. Joke. Not a fool. Joke. Joke. <laughs> Something that everybody in Fanny Sternhagen will really know it's true. We're going to hear about that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, you, you've never tripped on your skirts then? Oh, last night it was pathetic. What happens is, if the petticoats ever, because there's so many ruffles and layers, that if they ever fall flat, which they do unless they're starched and pressed twice a week, the hems, because Ms. Greenwood is a taskmaster, and she makes sure that even on a rake stage, the hems are absolutely touching, just skimming the carpet. So you have no room for air. And last night, the petticoats had just gotten flat enough and the hems had gotten long enough that when I went down to shake Mrs. Montgomery's hand, I literally did one of these. <laughs> Twice! <laughs> and, and probably every spectator thought it was part of your characterization. Yes, it's clever. You know, they thought, how wonderful! How did you do that? I'm I cute. landed on Liz McKay's hand to stop me before I went into the pit. It was but, but Jane taught each of us so much uh, about these period costumes because we... I think actors depend a lot on the the um, the research of our designers and and um, uh, so there was that and then I, I remember the very first day that I mean I'm I'm pretty good at reading uh, models and uh, set sketches uh, but it's there's nothing like seeing the real thing and the first time you walk on a set it's like Christmas morning and you finally really get the world that you've been trying to approach in rehearsal all those, all those weeks. And, and I remember walking, I came down the alleyway of the court theater, having never been there before, the, the very first day we moved into the theater. And I was too dumb to read the sign that said, stage door this way. And I walked into the basement door, and all the stagehand guys were going, oh, she's a smart one, you know, because I came wandering <laughs> in the wrong door. And they sort of, I just said, where's the stage? And they just sort of pointed me up a staircase. And um, there are many staircases on this set that the audience doesn't see. There's the um, a staircase, the front stoop staircase to 16 Washington Square is actually through a, a, a trap down into the basement. So we enter 16 Washington Square from the, the basement steps. And then, of course, there was, a, fortunately, another trap that suited the kitchen uh, stairs. So there are kitchen stairs, front stoop stairs, and then uh, an, an access staircase uh, to the stage right area. And I remember I somehow wandered up that staircase, and I didn't really want to see the set until I could really fully walk onto it, but I just glanced and I saw the newel post of that staircase and the carpeting and that front door that, and there was even a plate on the front door that said sloper that no one ever sees. <laughs> and it, suddenly I got so excited I thought I was going to die. It was, it suddenly dawned on me the world that we were about to enter together as a collaborators on this extraordinary piece that none of us had an idea anybody was going to, I was just talking to, 
to, to a, a nice lady in the restroom about the fact that none of us had a clue the way this production was going to capture people's imaginations. Yeah, and it's just because every... up even for you. Yes, it really... You know, and, and it's because every, every part of the collaboration was, it was, in a way, by accident, this wonderful perfection. And it all just sort of came together. And, uh, uh, and it's because everyone is... is I so see Jane's face. It isn't quite by accident. Well, no. <laughs> I didn't really mean that. I know. You were talking about the research and going to Paris, even for the change in the time that she was in America and going over to Paris, looking at the change in hair, for example. Well, and also the, you yeah, you might talk about that. that and when she comes back from Paris, not only the hair, but the rest, the, the clothes. Are yes, well, of course, different. she's had such a such a change and she's had a chance to see something of the world and it makes a big difference and they, the, the European clothes were definitely more sophisticated than the American clothes that she had seen. In fact, everything that was stylish was in some way brought back from Europe at that time. It was way before we had our own American designers. What, what I, did you, when you say research, where do you go uh, to look for a period like that? I mean, I know that if, if it's uh, 1950s or something, it's easy. You just go to the Saturday Evening Post or that or whatever, or, or Ladies well, Over. Paintings Island. of the period. And paintings and, and magazines and periodicals. I remember Alona, Jane's assistant, again, she's getting a lot of yes, coverage. Yes, a lot of violence. So, so, uh, I remember when we were in the muslin, because in the fittings you're always, you're more often than not in, in the... We do a muslin first. A muslin yeah. first. And I was just in the muslin of the Paris dress that I return in uh, to, to Washington Square. And I remember Alona just looking dreamy-eyed and said, oh, there's nothing like a Paris cut. <laughs> and it was, almost, it was almost as though she'd forgotten that Jane had designed it. It was, she was almost like she was getting caught up in it. But that's how authentic it was. It was just, ah, oh, Paris cut. I understand that you're such a secret for detail that even the underwear of a modern dress has to be exactly right. Is it, is I was telling this story about uh, the musical we did and how you designed the underwear for the chorus because she felt that if they didn't have the proper underwear, they couldn't They couldn't feel. Well, I right. think for any actor, they need to have it all right, and then they feel as though they are. Yeah, but that's, character. you know, why you're so good. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. It I mean, the there's uh, awareness, good. sensitivity to that's the good. actor. It is about, mm -hmm. because after all is said and done, it's about that. It's like no that, matter what we do, I mean, it's they the come same to see as her. the set design and, and John Lee putting the Dr. Sloper's name on the door that n n the people in the audience don't see, but the actors know. It's the same thing with what's underneath the clothes. You know, it's, it's all part of making the actors feel as well as we can that they are those characters, and then they're able to give those glowing performances. But, you know, all of us together, I think, in some way, make it, 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 it's not just one aspect of it. It's that wonderful kind of group and makes the wheel turn round. Where the, did you study? Um, at the Central School of Arts and Crafts in London. Mm -hmm. And then I went to um, Oxford Repertory, where we designed a new play every three weeks. Where do <laughs> That's a hard Mm -hmm. job and you once you've done that it's sort of experience for life really
a year. Mm. Where would costume designers, would future costume designers go today to study? Well, there are many good schools today. Like Do you Yale. teach like Yale? I, I teach, teach at Yale. <laughs> and uh, I think it's a good design school. A plug. Thank you, George. I think NYU is a very good design school. There are many. Mm -hmm. But um, I'm, I, I must say I am partial to Yale. What about lighting? And Can I go through that? Where would you go? Where would taught? One study lighting um, today. Uh, I, I didn't study lighting. Um, I was a, uh, studied dance at Sarah Lawrence College with Bessie Schoenberg mm -hmm. for three years and uh, worked um, assisting Tom Skelton, assisting uh, Jules Fisher, and um, and worked as many little shows as I could for myself. And what's it's interesting to sit beside the master just one seat away from the hot seat and watch how they deal with the problems and, and you, you get a lot of it. It's an old-fashioned uh, apprentice kind mm -hmm. of system that, that uh, works very well. Well, you know, you, you, we were mentioning and you, you alluded to something that I wanted you to do a little bit technically. Um, you said, well, it all began to change with the invention of the Leco light. And for our uh, audience and for our edification, would you explain that a little bit? Uh, it, it, that's uh, that's a, a Leco is a specific unit that was invented in the 40s, but mostly it's the control of light. We're getting better and better at it. The equipment is more and more sophisticated. So prior to that, there were the footlights we talked about and some lighting of the scenery with a few general sources and soft-edged things. And now one can be extremely precise. And there's equipment now that will change the color so that if you can have a small space and only enough room for one light there. As on the Eris, you can change kind of three or four colors there, or 20 or 40 um, in a machine that changes the color. There's moving lights now that you also can control with computers, and we use that. You um, might talk about in that this very realistic, with the, with the Yeah, in this very by. realistic play, we do use a couple of IntelliBeams that, that g give us the impression that there's a carriage moving out on the street because you can see the light go across the ceiling. Uh, and, uh, but... <laughs> In, in a play like this, you don't want anyone to know that you've done anything as, as uh, uh, complex. Beverly, in, um, in the Eris, we were talking earlier about the fact that you create the illusion of sunlight and a little bit of moonlight coming on from, from stage left. Um, you also use uh, the fireplace, firelight, and lamplight um, to appear to illuminate the stage, but you do have quite a few instruments out front uh, supplementing, you know, what looks like natural light. How many are out front? I don't know how many are out front. I think overall there are about 400 units uh -huh. on the show. I also wondered, it, you have the, light, the stage fairly brightly lit at the end of the first act, and then, of course, for the curtain call. Are there instruments that you use only at those two points and not any place else in the show? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the feeling. <laughs> What about those lamps? How do you make them go on and off on cue? And then, of course, Cherry carries one upstairs, so it's obviously not tied down to there are some, wiring. There are now batteries and tiny little sources that look very, look very good as if they were candles. But John Lee provides the lamps. I mean, he's done the research mm -hmm. on, on uh, mm -hmm. what the fixture should look like, where the source should be, and my job is to find a bulb that fits in there oh. and, can, and then can be controlled with the board. So it actually drives me crazy in the heiress, and Jerry had to punish me during rehearsals because it really would take them a lot longer to light all those lamps. You know, that would be a big project, and that's right. why we'd have a maid go around lighting the lamps. But it, was, it turned out to be rather tedious to see someone 
the window. <laughs> 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 yes. Would have added ten minutes running time to the stage. show. That wasn't a good idea, and Jerry just had to stop complaining. It's a play. <laughs> it's, a play. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a light show. <laughs> you always have to find the balance between the, the reality and what's going to make the magic. I mean, I think none of us can be too dogmatic about what's right and what's wrong. It's got to be what makes... On the other hand, I, I'm always fascinated with people who say they don't know anything about anything, but we've been exposed to so many movies that actually are fairly well-researched. Uh, uh, the movie version of The Heiress is quite well-researched, yes, yeah. actually. Uh, and people who say they don't know anything about it, it doesn't matter. It does matter a lot of times because people feel what's right and wrong because we've, we've been exposed to a lot of things, and we know a lot... As a designer, I have to believe that we know a lot more things visually than we are aware of ourselves knowing. That's why people can look at something and say, I don't know what's wrong, but something's wrong. And there are a lot of things that we collectively recognize. One thing on the heiress was, uh, Cherry mentioned the stairs going up to the front of the house. I think everybody in New York, whether you remember it or not, but everybody in New York really knows that those houses on the north side of Washington Square all have a flight of steps going up to the front of them. And even if we didn't, if you didn't remember it when you saw it, you might think there was something a little strange if the people didn't go down when they went out the stairs or, or up to enter. And uh, it, you can't, it's an instinctive lack people feel when you get things a little too wrong. You can get them a little wrong, like getting them made with the lamps, but you can't get them way wrong or people get uncomfortable and then... Well, it affects the actor, too. I mean, if an actor is going to enter instead of, uh, from a long stoop in the period, you don't just step over a, a threshold and say, hi. You know, Actually, a, I do think that they're, they're, they swear. I think they, they just swear when they start up the stairs. It's a long climb. It works. It skirts. Yeah, it is skirts. Upstage. I didn't know that one. I'm, I'm fascinated. Where, where did I was you... teaching her one day how the lady of the period would carry her little bag, a lady of... How to what? Sherry, uh, how a lady would carry her bag. You'd carry your little bag like this. Because the, the, I have my little traveling case when I think Morris has arrived. Yeah. And I go and I pick up my little traveling case. And, of course, I was carrying it like I was, you know, <laughs> going yeah. out to Long Island for the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, of course, John Lee Beatty told me that I had to carry it this oh, way because, okay. in the first place, the skirts are so big that she would really have to be a weightlifter to carry it, <laughs> you know, uh, so that, that, of course, they would carry it here. Uh, and when you see them chair. carry it there, all the clothes make sense because yeah, they're made to so, fall properly right. for her. And you can't, in those clothes, you can't, you can't do this. It's right. all just in this small range right. because hopefully would that not be thing, your the role? Practicality in, in about you how to hold the bag? Well, I think, I think it's, we, it's a shared thing. Mm -hmm. I think that... Um, uh, I I trained as an actor, and and I know a lot about period, the, and and the way people, the way people behave in different periods is. Uh, Jane was my teacher. Um, she wasn't teaching at Yale then. <laughs> she, was she, she was teaching at Juilliard, <laughs> and uh, she was our costume teacher, and. It was the the it was it all makes sense. People behave in a way that the clothes allow them to behave, and there's all reasons for it, and all of them are organic. I used to have the actors sort of put clothes on and act different, um, or, or behave as they would in different periods, and they love to do that. And I would say, now look in the mirror and look at your silhouette, 
And don't be frightened to look at yourself. This is the time to really concentrate. Not that actors are ever frightened to look at themselves, I don't think. <laughs> but I really wanted them to look at their silhouettes and see how they behave. I, I, I must tell this little story that um, Christopher Reeve wa was at Juilliard at the time when I was teaching. And a couple of years later, I was out at BAM with my daughter seeing um, Twyla Tharp ballet. And Christopher was in the audience, and he came up and said hello. And she'd just been to see um, Superman. And um, I could see her eyes were out on stalks, that he had come up and said hello to me. And I introduced her to Christopher. And he leant over and he said, you know, it was your mother that taught me to use a cape. And I <laughs> thought she was going to die and go to heaven. And she looked at me in a totally different way. <laughs> it's called respect, right? <laughs> John Lee, um, we've talked about the fact that the, the uh -oh, scrim... Brown University, English Literature, oh. Yale School of Drama. <laughs> and design. do you teach... I taught for nine or ten years at North Carolina School of the Arts, and I am taking a break right now from teaching. I got taught out. <laughs> Did you do anything before? Were you an actor? I acted and directed and um, wrote in college, but um, I have absolutely no retention of anything ever said to me, and I can't speak any lines. I can't remember what to say. So it was very useful to have done it. and. Um, but I always wanted to be a set designer since I was seven years old. So, but didn't you do puppets? Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. For many years, I yeah. had my own puppet. I've heard the story a thousand times. <laughs> so let's hear it. No, he was. He had his own little puppet theater. I was very shy, and, and for a certain period of my life, I didn't talk to people a whole lot. So, <laughs> so I made puppets, and I had little hand puppets, and string puppets, and rod puppets, and, and I, this is so embarrassing, but I took over the garage of my house, and I had my own little theater with a fly system, and uh, actually I had, a, it was a complex, it was like Lincoln Center, I had the big stage, <laughs> and then I had a little one for the miniature sets, and then a medium-sized one for the marionettes, it was, a, it was an arts complex. I think Turnabout is fair play, I want Ralph to comment on the set that he designed at the Monomoy Theater in Chatham years ago for the heiress. He designed the heiress, you designed puppets. Great for you, yeah. Well, it wasn't for puppets. <laughs> I have a very, I remember the staircase, but that's about all I can remember. Um, it seems like it was a drawing room. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I did my, some, some, some set designing in, 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 in days gone by in, previous, in a previous life. Where did you study? <clears throat> well, I never studied much theater. Um, I, I always just did it. Uh, and, for instance, all this stuff is, is self-taught. I mean, you kind of, there's not much of a, maybe now there are places to study it, but there weren't uh, uh, um, years ago. I studied with uh, Harry Burnett, you know, he was of the Yale Puppeteers. Not oh, sure. at Yale, I, not at right. Yale, <laughs> in California, but yeah. he was a famous puppeteer. I was, it was very weird, though, to have a, 
puppet school. Right. It was very odd. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I grew up in Vermont, and there was nobody there to study with. And, so, and I had a puppet, sh a puppet show when I was a kid, too. <laughs> I was one of those strange kids. <laughs> and, but I, 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 I would take my, my show. I guess it, I still tour, but I, I would take my show to, uh, to birthday parties and uh, to schools and, and do little productions there. And I must say that the first uh, year that I, well, as a so-called adult started um, doing these shows that incorporated masks and giant puppets and so forth. I, I was sitting there watching the play one day, and I thought, gee, this is just what I was doing when I was 12, yeah. only the, the scale is a little bit changed now. And I think, it, I think there's a definite link there still. I want to know, though, whether Cherry was, like, doing little plays in her garage. Jane was dressing up paper dolls, and, and Beverly had flashlights going, and, and that's, that's, that's the thing about the arts. We just, we make our childhood last for... No rubber balls with the thing. It is true. It's actually that. It, Sherry's saying it, you make your childhood last forever, because yeah. I started designing scenery when I was seven, and... I, I have to just say, we did a play. It was really a horrible experience. I won't mention it, but in the middle of hell... <laughs> <laughs> we were in the middle of hell. There was puppets in this puppets. play. And we were in the middle of hell. Did I mention that we were in the middle of hell? <laughs> <laughs> and it was a filthy, awful, terrible place to be. And there was John Lee Brady in the corner, happy as a clam, putting red hair on the puppet. <laughs> and combing the hair on the puppet. And he looked like a five-year-old in the middle of hell. <laughs> John Lee, I have to know how with, with uh, a set that has walls uh, with big chunks just scrim so that we don't have flats and we don't have all the wood, up. what holds up the ceiling? Do you have it suspended and the candelabra, do you have it suspended from the flies or something? Yeah, that's, you know, you've got, it's really scary. If you look at, if you analyze the heiress and you build scenery, there's very little holding it together. Um, <laughs> Philip Bosco noted that one day. <laughs> <laughs> the, ceiling, the ceiling is hung, and the ceiling is totally transparent, uh, translucent, so there's no framing over the center part. And, they, mm -hmm. and that chandelier, they, drop, they tried to be very accurate and drop a line and cut a little hole and go right through it and hold the chandelier up to it. And one day they had a little accident and ripped. But uh, very scary. And the lace had to be installed in the theater because there's nothing, there really is no frame holding anything together. So it's stretched from place to place to place. And of course, if you think about it, those mirrors, which are um, actual real glass, are very heavy, and they're self-supporting. But uh, And the paintings, the paintings are actually made of scrim, because we have to see through the paintings as well. And they're computer printed on scrim with a layer of brown clear plexiglass behind them to look like what an oil painting would look like if it were transparent. And those, of course, have to be <laughs> suspended, too. I so. have to interrupt at this point, unless you're willing to spend the weekend with us. Which <laughs> I would like sure. very much. I, don't, I think even then we wouldn't have time to continue and explore this. But this has been the American Theatre Wing's seminar on design. And earlier we presented to these wonderful artists the American Theatre Wing's award and check uh, for design in the theater, and unlike the Tony Awards, it went to Off-Broadway as well as Broadway, and the American Theater Wing has long believed that talent has no boundaries, and 
this panel is a very, very good example of that. It's coming to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York, and it is just one of the all-year-round programs of the American Theatre Wing. I thank you all for being here, and I thank this wonderful panel for their generous time, examples, and the, the wonderful puppets that we've had here, and also your knowledge. Thank you so much for being here. All right.